Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. This morning, I want to continue in the series that you're in called Relationship Goal. And um, I want to talk about a type of relationship this morning that is very foundational to the life of a believer. This type of relationship is just that. It's foundational. And it's hard for us to build our lives. As a matter of fact, we've been doing a series at my church called um, Foundations. And, And the reason why we've been doing that is because you can build a beautiful building But if the foundation isn't right, the building's going to, something's going to be wrong with the building. And if you don't tend to the foundation when you realize that there's something wrong with the foundation, it's just a matter of time before the big, beautiful building comes crashing down. So it's, it's important, it's paramount for us to pay attention to our foundation. And so the type of relationship that I'm talking about this morning is a very foundational one. We have to build our lives from the bottom up, from the bottom up. And so, again, this this type of relationship is foundational. So if we're going to be talking about foundations within the Christian life, I want to go back to the very foundations of the church, the very beginning of the church. Some of you may know this, some of you may not, but the church was actually birthed in the book of Acts chapter 2. That was the inauguration of the church, the very beginning. Up until that moment, there had been no such thing as a church. There was the Israelite people, the chosen nation. But in that moment, God raised up a new people. And that people was the church. And in that moment, the apostle Peter got up and he preached to many different nations that had come together to come to Jerusalem for for the celebration of Pentecost. And while they were there, God used this man, Peter, who had once denied Jesus, to stand in front of the nations of the world and proclaim the gospel message that Jesus Christ is Lord, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And in that moment, the Bible says that 3,000 people from the nations of the world, all speaking different languages, got born again because they had seen them have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit fill those people. And they thought they were crazy. And let me just be very clear about something as a church. We believe in the filling of the Holy Spirit. That was not for then. That is for now. God has never stopped doing that. That doesn't mean we're going to be weird and do cartwheels, but you cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. That is how God inaugurated his church, by pouring out his spirit on a people. And when he did that, this is so, this is so unique and so ironic. God poured out his spirit on people who spoke, who, who, who were, excuse me, his people and people from the nation of the world who spoke different languages all heard their language spoken. So what God was doing in that moment when Peter preached the gospel and they got born again, God was bringing all of the different nations of the world together under one umbrella, the umbrella of Jesus Christ. That is why we can sit in this building together today from many different walks of life. Many of you came from from places that the person sitting across the aisle from you would have never, ever thought of or ever came from, but you came together under the umbrella of the name of Jesus. He's still doing that. 
But then the questions beg us, what did they do in that moment? How did they respond? What did, what, what did they live their lives like? They heard the message, then what? I propose to you that that is the foundations of the church. Those are the foundational things that we should do in our lives that they did in that moment. Because let me just tell you, that happened over 2,000 years ago. We're here today. I think it worked. I think it worked. So the type of relationship we're talking about this morning, this foundational relationship is this, spiritual family. Everybody say that with me. Say spiritual family. Spiritual family. Now, as I talk about these foundations, many of you are going to totally agree with with the ones that are listed in in Scripture. But yet this one, for some reason, is the one that we kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe in prayer. Right. I believe in receiving communion. Right. I believe in in all of those different disciplines. I believe in that. But when it comes to spiritual family, we kind of leave that on the back burner. But I want to unpack that for you this morning, because many of us, when we think of the terminology, what I'm talking about this morning is the real church. Spiritual family is church. Many of you grew up thinking that church was a building. Church is not a building. As a matter of fact, let me just tell you this. Right now, this building is, is currently being used as a church. The church that I, the building that we have in Broussard is currently being used as a church. But can I just tell you when our Savior's church was launched, it was not launched in a quote-unquote church. It was launched in a honky-tonk. And for all my black people in the room, it was launched in the club. You relate what I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about. We didn't, we didn't have honky-tonks when I grew up in New Orleans. We had the club. Wailing Jennings played there. Irma Thomas sang there. Like, that's where Our Savior's Church was launched. In the bathroom, there was a horse trough that the men had to use as the restroom. There was nothing holy about it. As a matter of fact, we've gone into that room many times back in the day when we were interns, and we would go into the ceiling, and let me just tell you, the stuff we found in there, Jesus didn't have nothing to do with. <laughs> nothing. But that's where the church was birthed. That's where our church was birthed. So church is not a building. And let me help you with this. Church is not an event on Sunday. Church is not the event that we come to. There's music and it's fun. You get to meet some people. That is not church. And I love the way Dr. Scott Adams, who wrote in his book, The Gold Book, that you'll be hearing more about uh, coming up very soon and can actually get one in March. He said this in his book. The local church is not a building that we go to, but a spiritual family that we belong to. That is what the church is. It's a family. It's a family. It's God's family. So again, Peter's preaching to these 3,000 people and the Holy Spirit's being poured out. The church is being inaugurated. What did they do? How did they respond? The book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I want to read some things to you. This is what it says. After they got born again, it says, all the believers devoted themselves. Let me stop right there. They devoted themselves. How many of you know when you devote yourself to something, that's not a, a casual kind of commitment? When I stand, when I stand um, on a stage 
and I'm standing next to my wife, and we're getting married in front of the world to see. How many of you know I'm not making just a kind of light commitment? I'm devoting myself to her, and she's devoting herself to me. That's kind of the picture of what's happening here. They are devoting. They got born again. They got saved in that moment. The church was birthed, and the Bible says they devoted themselves. What did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word of God. That's the scriptures. That is, they were teaching what we have today as the scriptures. They devoted themselves to the, the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and they devoted themselves to prayer. See, most of us, when we conceptualize Christianity, we understand prayer. We understand receiving communion. We understand the Bible, the Word of God. But they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to being with one another. These are foundational things for us as Christians. Let's continue. Verse 43, it says this. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their, their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They didn't even have a building, but they were the church. As a matter of fact, when you read the word church in the Bible, let me just tell you what they mean. It's the Greek word ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. And that word ekklesia means assembly or congregation. So the church is not the building. The church is the people. You are the church. You are the family of God. When God conceptualized the church, when God created the church, God was saying, I'm going to draw in my family from all nations of the world and bring them together, and I'm going to be their father and their Lord, and they will be my family. God created the church to be a spiritual family. And it's not church membership. That's not just, you know, being a, a member on paper in the church does not make you a member of spiritual family. It doesn't even make you born again. There are tons of people who are members of churches who are not in the kingdom. And that's important for you to understand. This is a very important distinction. You're not saved by your church membership. You are, you're saved in Jesus Christ. You're saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You are saved by grace through faith. That's what makes you born again. And, and here's, the, here's the, the kind of mystical part about that. The moment that you're born again, you have brothers and sisters in India. Maybe you should send them a king cake. You got family all over the world because you're a part of the church. But yet for some of us who are born again and you, you understand that element of it, but you're not living out the blessings of being in spiritual family. 
You're not reaping the many benefits. It's like having a gift given to you that you have left in the wrapper. And God's saying, I have these incredible things for you. And you go, that's nice. I have this. It's right there. In that, in that paper, pretty, it's right there. It's mine. But you've never opened it up and used it. That's what spiritual family is for some of us. There's so many benefits and blessings that come from being a part of spiritual family, but you got to unwrap it. You got to open it. Are y'all with me this morning? You were never intended to walk down this Christian journey alone. Let me just say that. Well, pastor, it's just me and Jesus. It's been me and Jesus. That's the way it is. Let me ask you a question. How's that working out? I can tell you. Not well. Because even if you think it's well, I can promise you there's so many benefits and blessings and things you don't even see that you're missing out on because you're not actively a part of spiritual family. And we learned this throughout COVID. We learned this throughout the quarantine. Listen, I hated being at home. I didn't mind waking up late, but I hated being at home. Because I hated being away from my spiritual family. And so many of you, uh, and listen, as a pastor, especially watching people not have the the life-giving relationships that they once had, it was really hard on me. It was hard on me. Thank God that we're back. Never, ever take this for granted. Never take this for granted. That's okay. You can clap. There's so many blessings And social media, many of us try to keep in relationships with social media, and then we realize how messed up that is. (laughs) You know, we had the 21-day fast where we fasted from social media. I'm going to be honest, I still haven't gotten back on. It's nice and peaceful without it. But social media is good, but it's no replacement for genuine relationships. You can have a thousand friends on Facebook and be lonely. So this morning, I want to talk about spiritual family. Let me just say this for those who are listening to the podcast. I know many people, I see them in Walmart and they say, I'm listening online. Let me just say this to the people who are listening online. And y'all just bear with us for now. I love what Pastor Chris Hodges said a few weeks ago when he preached at our, our church. I love what he said when he said this. He said, if you are sick or, or fearful of, of getting COVID, we understand, stay safe, praise God, we're praying for you. But if you're staying home because of habit, it's time to come back home. Amen. It's time to come back home. So what I'm talking about, again, is something that can make or break a person's faith. And I'm just gonna, I'm gonna dive right into it. I know you're like, okay, can you tell me more about it? I'm coming, it's coming. Just be patient. But when you get born again, Jesus doesn't always take us out of the environments that we're in. That's important for you to understand. When you're born again, if you're like me, then you just wanted to be around, like I want to be around the church. Now, I was called to this, but there are certain people who want to quit their jobs and just be at church all the time. And Pastor Don, can I have a job? Or Pastor Sean, can I have a job? Can I just work here at the church? And let me just tell you, God won't do that because he's given you a sphere of influence that he wants you to build his kingdom in. Some of you need to start seeing your job as a calling. 
You need to start seeing that job that you complain about as a mission field that Jesus has given you to bring in his sons and daughters to the family. But at the same time, you are not, you are in the world, but you're no longer of the world. And some of the influences that used to influence you, God wants to invert that. Use, God wants to put other people in your life where you can influence them, but you're being influenced by God's people. You're being influenced by those who are going to push you closer to your relationship with God. That is spiritual family. I love the way my pastor says it. He says it like this. You show me your five closest relationships and I will show you your destiny. Show me the people that you allow to influence your life and I will show you your destiny. So I want to talk about what the spiritual family look like. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. What does spiritual family look like? It looks like this, spending time with each other. Spending time with each other. Acts 2 verse 46 says this, they worship together at the temple each day and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. In real relationships, you make time for each other. When it's a genuine, real relationship, a heartfelt relationship and a heartfelt connection, you make time for one another. These believers spent quality time with each other, not just every now and then. They didn't just pass by at church. They were with each other daily because they were a family. See, when you think that church is an event on Sunday, you're fine to just pass one another by in the foyer and go, hey, brother, so-and-so. And your wife says, what's their name? You're like, I don't know. Hey, brother. Hey, man of God, what's their name? Because they're just a person in the pew at the event versus that's my brother and my sister and I've taken the time to get to know them because they're family. They're family. God wants this to be a spiritual family. I want to challenge your thinking with this this morning because church can't just be an event. When you realize that they're family, you stay connected to them. When you realize that they're family, you're willing to do things to build that bridge of connection. Are y'all with me? Do you spend time with other believers? Because when you do, it sharpens you. It makes you a better Christian. It makes you a better follower of Christ. And look up here. It makes you a better husband. It makes you a better wife. It makes you a better parent. Because they, whoever that is, tell them they can still make it to church. <laughs> That's why we need one another. We sharpen one another. But you have to make time for one another. Believers become your influence, not the people who are just, who, who this, you pass by. They become the people who you are gaining wisdom from, knowledge from, heartfelt connection with. People, when you're down, they're there to pick you back up. But it starts with making time for them. Well, Pastor, I'm just too busy. I got a lot with my job and I got this and my kids are in sports and all this stuff. And that's all good. That's all important stuff. But if you're too busy for your family, you're too busy. I know y'all didn't like that, but I'm going to say it again. If you're too busy for your family, you're too busy. You make time for what's important to you. If you're too busy for your family, your priorities are out of whack. You may think that 
You know what, Pastor, hearing this message, that's a good idea. But when you see the benefits of spiritual family, you realize this is not just a good idea. This is a necessity. This is a necessity for me. Number two, this is what spiritual family does, enjoying each other. This is what it looks like. We enjoy each other. We enjoy being with one another. Now, some of you may be thinking, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, I like God, but I don't want to be with these church people because they're weird and they're boring. Just tell the truth in church. Y'all have heard Pastor Eugene said, if you lie in church, you die and you go straight to hell. <laughs> like, I just, they're, they're just different. They're, they're like weird. I just don't want to be around them. Like, are we going to sing Kumbaya? I don't get it. Church family is just like every other family. It's just like your normal family. You have family members that you cannot wait to be around. When Christmas comes around, Thanksgiving, you cannot wait to be around them. But there's certain family members. You have to explain them before you bring people over. Like, listen, listen. We're going to my house. My cousin Mike is there. You'll be fine. Don't give him money. And don't make eye contact. Just walk straight to the kitchen. You'll be fine. Listen, I'm a pastor. I love my church. There are people in there I love spending time with. Can I be transparent? There's certain people in there, though, where I'm like, Lord, please, not today. Not today. But they're family. And you prioritize family. Some of y'all think of those people right now. (laughs) When you're around like-minded people with a like-minded mission and like-minded goals, you're going to find something very unique. Not just happiness. You're going to find joy. You're going to find joy. That same verse says this. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and as Pastor Don talked about, in generosity. See, you, when you get around people who are sharpening you and making you better, you find joy. Why? Because God's in your midst. Jesus said, with two or more gathered together there, I am in the midst of them. God is where his family is. God is where his children are. You find great joy being around one another. And sometimes it's just good to have people around you that you can celebrate those wins. Listen, you can't really go to your job and celebrate, God showed me this in the Word. They're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Come on, man of God. Struck a nerve. That's why you need family. That's why you need spiritual family to celebrate these things with you. I have friends in my life that I can just be goofy with, that I can just have fun with that don't judge me, that love me, but they will sharpen me when I need it. They will sharpen me when I need it. It's the blessing of spiritual family. And let's just be honest, some of you are struggling right now with loneliness. Some of you are hurting, you feel alone, you feel like there's no hope, and you're praying, God, do something. And God is saying to you this morning, the answer to your loneliness has been around you every single Sunday. When are you going to use it? 
When are you going to utilize it? God has given you a family. So this is a practical, practical tip. I love to eat. If you want to build spiritual family, go out to eat with one another. When you leave church, don't go out on your own. Go with someone else from church. Invite them. Go have lunch with them. If you're married, make sure they're your spouse. That's important. Don't, don't use this as like the dating Pastor Gabe saying, go and connect. But you need to build spiritual relationships. Go have fun with somebody. Church is not supposed to be just the lecture, lecture where you come in, you hear me speak, and you walk out and you go, I'm either really good this week or I'm really bad. This is your family. This is the place that you come and connect with your family. Go and eat with one another. Go and spend time with one another. Invite them to be a part of your everyday life, and you will find joy in your relationships. Number three, seeking God with each other. What does spiritual family look like? It looks like this. It looks like seeking God with one another. Verse 47 says this, all the while they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Let me teach you something this morning, especially about worship. And worship, by the way, was amazing this morning. Y'all did an incredible job. It was powerful. Brianna used to actually be in my youth group. I was a youth pastor a long time ago, but we won't go in there. I got, I got a lot of history here with people in this room. But worship, when you come together, is, that's not the entertainment portion. That's not the, like, we, we need to kill some time, so we're going to sing some songs so we can hurry up and make sure everybody has time to get in. That's not what worship is. Worship is when you come together with your family, gather with one voice in unison, singing songs to your king. And he inhabits your praises. He's meeting with you as a people, and you are unified connecting with him. That's a supernatural, powerful thing. So don't miss out on that. We as a spiritual family come together to honor God. See, let me put it like this. I do a lot of premarital counseling for couples, and that's always fun. <laughs> Pastor, we're just in love. We're just, everything's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. And I'm sitting back going, uh-huh. We're different than like our families. We're different than other couples. We don't, we've, we've, we don't even argue. He likes ranch dressing. I like ranch dressing. We knew it was God. I'm just go, okay. I mean, you know, most couples don't need premarital counseling. They need counseling about three months in after the newness wears off. Then come and talk about ranch dressing. I was lying. I don't even like ranch dressing. You know, you smell like ranch dressing. But I tell couples in premarital counseling, a godly relationship looks like this. It's three parts. As the Bible says, a three-strand cord. It's you, it's them, and it's God intertwined in the midst of every part of your relationship. It's the same thing in spiritual family. 
It's you, the person next to you, and God interwoven in the middle of these relationships. And when Jesus is Lord of your relationships, when God is in the middle of all of these relationships, guess what? Things are simpler. It may not seem it at first, but they are. There are relationships that I have made right, not because I was convinced I was wrong, but I made them right because he's the Lord of the relationship and he wanted me to. When, you, when he is the Lord of your relationships, you will humble yourself to make something right with your spouse. You will humble yourself to make something right with the person that you sit in those pews with. Why? Because they're not just the person I'm coming to church with. They're my family. They're my family. There's so many things I can say. I want to go off in a tangent, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. You should sharpen one another to pray and to seek God together. Who's in, in a relationship that you're seeking God in, you sharpen one another to be better, as I mentioned before. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. I mean, you know, there are times when, when I know that I'm going to have some, one of my brothers ask me how my prayer life is. There are times when I'm going to have one of my brothers asking how am I treating my wife. How am I doing as a dad? How's my soul? How's my thought life? That's not control. That's love, care, and accountability. And that's what families do for one another. They help make each other better. God wants us to be unified in that. Don't let those things, those, those, those things that come in, that they help make you better, offend you. Because unity is important to God. And when you're prideful, that, can, that was one of the key things to get rid of unity. Pride and competition. I'm going to talk about competition in a moment before I close. But Jesus wanted us to be unified. As a matter of fact, when in the true Lord's Prayer, we always quote the Lord's Prayer as being our Father's Prayer. How many know that was not the Lord's Prayer? That was him teaching us how to pray. His prayer was right before he was going to the cross, and he was praying to the Father, and his disciples could hear him. Father, make them one. That was his prayer. Make my disciples, those who come after me, make them one. In other words, God, keep the family together. Keep the family on the same page. That was Jesus' prayer. How many of you know, if that was his prayer right before he died, that was probably pretty important to him. So your unity with the people that you sit in this room with is important. Are there some relationships even in this room that you need to make right? Are there some relationships in this room that maybe you smile and greet and wave, but you've created some distance in that relationship because of an offense in your heart? And let me just tell you this, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. We need us. We need us. You need the people next to you. Whether you agree with them about everything or not, you agree with them with the most important thing, and that's Jesus is the Lord of your life. My last point is this, number four. What does spiritual family look like? It looks like this. It looks like caring for each other, caring for each other. Verse 44 says this, and all the believers met together in one place, listen to this, and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in 
need. See, spiritual family cares for one another. And when I'm talking about caring for one another, I don't mean this in the passive sense. I mean this in the active sense. There's a passive sense of, oh, Shad, that's too bad. I'll pray for you. But then there's the active sense that when there's a need and you see your brother and sister in need, you engage. You step into that. You don't stay back and go, "Ah, I'm comfortable here. I don't need any of that drama in my life. You engage your brother and sister when there's a genuine need in their life. Because that's what spiritual family does. Romans chapter 12 verse 15 says this, Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. One of the benefits of being in spiritual family, as I mentioned earlier, is just someone you can celebrate with. All of us need somebody. When something amazing has happened in our life, we all need somebody that we can just give a high five to without them, without fearing that they're judging us as being prideful. We all need someone that's going to be there and have, and they want our success as much as we do or more. That's spiritual family. We all need that. We all need that without someone being competitive with us. Competition can be a good thing if you're an athlete, but if you are no longer an athlete and you keep living your life in this competitive sense, I want you to look around you. That's the reason why you're alone. Because no one wants to be around someone that is constantly a competition. My kid got all B's. Well, my kid got all A's. I caught a fish. It was awesome. Well, mine was this big. No one wants to be around someone who is constantly in competition. Spiritual family does not do that. Spiritual family blesses them and celebrates with them. Happy with those who are happy. I'm also weeping with those who weep. Listen, one year ago, a little bit over a year ago, actually, a precious, precious woman in my church passed away. It was very, very sudden. She went into the hospital and then about two weeks later, she was gone. There were no indicators before she went into the hospital that there was even a problem. And within two weeks, she was gone. Let me talk to you about spiritual family for a moment because right now, this may sound like a good idea, but until you understand this, when you see this, you will realize it is a necessity. When she passed away, One of the elders at our church had been with her, had prayed with her, had left and felt an unction from the Holy Spirit that night to go back and was able to go back and was there with her the moment she passed into eternity. Not only that, but when she passed away, her husband was an absolute wreck and understandably so. And the small group that they were a part of surrounded them help meet his financial needs, help get a budget in place for him. And and as a matter of fact, as she was passing away and dying, she gave power of attorney to one of the women in her life that she had been walking with that was spiritual family. And they helped carry that load for her and helped him transition into the next stages of life that he was going to have to walk through. Why is that important? Because that is what family does. When you're hurting, I'm hurting. When you're weeping, I'm weeping. That's what God intended. That's what God wants for us. When you're worried about your kids, you have someone to talk to. 
When you're scared about what's going on in the world, but you don't want to let it show and then seem like you're a person who doesn't have faith, do you have someone you can be vulnerable and weak with and say, I'm struggling? That's what family's for. Look around you. They're in this room. They're in this room. Spiritual family also sacrifices for one another. And listen, even as I say this, I get this. Let me just address this in the room right now. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, okay, I don't want to do that. Like, I'll pray, I'll cry. I'm not giving up my resources because I don't want to be used. I get it. I understand that. And as a matter of fact, before I address that, I want to address the opposite side of that. And please hear me as a pastor. I mean this with love and sincerity in my heart. If you are a type of person who is always asking someone to help you, but you're not willing to get rid of your own cable to help yourself, stop it. Stop it. Because you're burning the bridges of those who have genuine hearts to help. This is what the Bible says about taking responsibility in our own lives. Is that okay? I may not be able to come back next week, but... I'll still be family with y'all. This is what the Bible says. Listen to this. This is so important, the Apostle Paul, when it comes to taking responsibility in our own lives and burning these relationships and burning people who want to help you. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command, command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus to settle down and to work to earn their own living. So last thing I'm going to say on this before I transition out of it. Don't burn bridges because you refuse to take responsibility in your own life. Don't make someone else carry a burden that you're not willing to carry for yourself. And listen, I get it. I'm not talking about if you're in the middle of a transition and you're trying to find a job. Listen, we support you. That's what family is here. We're here to help. We're here to help. But you need to be working towards meeting those needs. But conversely, Conversely, that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook because this is how he finishes that passage. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Never get tired of doing good. You may get weary, you may get discouraged, but you're not even doing it for them. You're doing it for him. You're doing it for him. Take care of your family. Cry with one another. Grieve with one another. Celebrate with one another. Have fun with one another. Go out to eat with one another. Laugh with one another. Watch a movie as long as it's appropriate with one another. And reap the benefits of being in spiritual family. So as I close, what does spiritual family look like? It looks like spending time with each other, enjoying each other, seeking God with each other, and caring for each other. Close your eyes. I want to pray for you this morning. As I'm talking through this benefits of being in God's family, you may be in this room this morning and say, Pastor, I'm I'm not in that family. I'm very clear on that. 
I, I enjoy the benefits of coming here, but I've never crossed over the threshold. I'm not born again. Jesus is not the Lord of my life. I've got great news for you this morning. You are one ask away from eternal life. See, Jesus said this in the book of John to even a religious man. He told him, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. What does that mean? It sounds, it is exactly how it sounds. Jesus takes us when we surrender to him, when we come to him, he, may, he puts the old us to death and the new us comes to life in him, in Christ. And we're a new creation. We're born again. Our sins are forgiven. They're washed away and we become right in God's sight. If you say, Pastor, I want that, you may be wondering, how do I do it? It's simple. We say it's as easy as ABC. A, you admit. Admit what? That you're a sinner. That there's sin in your life that has separated you from a holy God. B, you believe. Believe what? That the solution to that problem was paid for at the cross. That God really did send Jesus. This is not mythology. This is not some great story. This was real life. God sent his son to die for you. And then see, you confess. Confess what? That he is now the Lord of your life. What does that word Lord mean? It's simply saying he is now the boss. That I'm going to live my life his way. I'm repenting, which means I'm changing the direction I've been going in. I'm changing in the direction that I've been living my life. And I'm surrendering to him and making him the Lord of my life. And following his way. If that's you and you say, Pastor... I'm not born again, but I want that. I want my sins forgiven. I want to be right with God. And I want to surrender my life to him today to be born again. I want to pray for you. So with no one looking around on the count of three, I want you to just lift up your hand because I want to acknowledge who I'm praying with. And then I'm going to ask the entire church to pray this prayer out loud with me as our prayer of surrender. One, two, three. That's you. Lift them up. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you. You can put them down. Our Savior's Church, let's pray this prayer out loud together. There's nothing magical, mystical about this prayer. It's a surrendered heart that he's going to meet today. Say this with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turned from living life my way and I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus some praise for everybody that just got born again.